Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, the first was not a happy meeting, although the man in question left it thinking that it had gone just about perfectly. Having that other person there had been unpleasant, but it had provided a nice contrast that he'd been able to make reference to. He had made his arguments, presented himself in the best light possible, and really couldn't think of anything that he should have done differently. But he left the meeting completely unaware of the fact that the one he had met with was not pleased at all. Instead of happiness, that one felt a mixture of sadness and anger and regret because he didn't like what he would have to do with that man if no changes were made. The second meeting was a much happier one, although no one would have expected it to be. Any observer would probably have been surprised that the meeting even happened at all. The man in question made no arguments, and knew that by rights he had no business asking for anything or even presuming to present himself. But when he left the meeting, he had been given everything, because the one he had met with was happy to do so. We don't usually think much of the third individual present when the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple courts. But since they were both praying, they both met with him. That's what prayer is, isn't it? A time to meet with God and present him with our thanks, requests, praise, and more. The tax collector was a man of business, but it was the Pharisee who approached the Lord in a business-like manner. He assumed that there was a deal in place between him and God, and, and he was there to give an update, along with appropriate words to butter up his better. The deal was simple. He, the Pharisee, would be an ideal human being, and God, the Almighty, would be pleased and would give him a divine at a boy and express something like, keep up the good work, you're one of my favorites, by blessing him even more in return. But what the Pharisee was presenting to God was not so much a record of his righteousness as it was a clear look at his heart. And that view was not pretty because his was not at all like God's heart. It was instead crusted and stained, crusted over with crud. It was full of what mattered most to the Pharisee, himself. He was proud. He was arrogant. He was self-important and self-righteous. We note that in his prayer, he never even bothered to 
ask the Lord for anything because he was already so satisfied with himself, with how good he was, was with, with how his goodness was so far beyond everyone else's and with how he was just so, so much better than other people. But none of what the Pharisee believed about himself was actually true. He was instead a wretched sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. Being born a Jew hadn't relieved him of original sin, and not only did he still break God's law in countless ways, as all humans do, but the very pride that he took in himself and his behavior was an affront and an offense to God. What he deserved was not God's boy, but his go-to-hell. Because that is what the Lord must reluctantly say to every sinner who arrogantly presumes that he can produce his or her, his or her own righteousness and, and earn a place in heaven on his or her own. Because it can't be done. None of us can remove the guilt or stain of our sin, and none of us can obey God's law perfectly. But those things that are required for entry into heaven which means that damnation is what is deserved. There is judgment in God's heart for the self-righteous and arrogant. But when the tax collector had his meeting with the Lord, things went very differently. He did not dare exalt himself in the presence of the Almighty and Holy God. And he understood that he had nothing to offer as evidence of righteousness or to argue for favor. Instead, he, he stood at a distance, kept his eyes low, beat his chest, and asked for what he knew he did not deserve. Mercy. And of course, that's what mercy is. Getting something other than what you actually deserve. The tax collector also presented God with a clear look at his heart. It was also cluttered and corrupted by sin, but the tax collector was willing to open it up, to be honest and to own his unworthiness. Where his fellow prayer presented pride, the tax collector brought shame and sorrow over his sin. He humbled himself before the Lord. The Lord lifted him up. The humility in the repentant sinner's heart was met by mercy in God's heart. Jesus tells us that this tax collector went home from the temple not just feeling better or determined to live differently, but went home justified. To be justified is to be declared innocent of sin and righteous in God's eyes. So it was not the one who claimed to be righteous that was righteous, and the one who despaired of having his own righteousness who was given righteousness by the Lord. 
the tax collector repented and his sins were forgiven. He humbled himself and God made him holy, exalting him to a place in heaven instead of the place in hell that he deserved. Which is what all of us deserve. Every man, woman, and child. As David confessed in our opening psalm tonight, we are all sinners from the time that we are conceived in our mother's wombs. And like David, we sin against God in countless ways, embracing evil, centering on ourselves, rejecting what is righteous for what is pleasurable or popular or just less work. For all these sins of thought, word, and action, we deserve to die. Those are our wages, what we get for what we do. And that death is not just a a simple end to our existence, a return to dust and a hole in the dirt, but it is eternal separation from the love of God living forever in the punishment that he decreed first for the devil and his demons when they turned away from his holiness to evil. What Jesus shows us in our parable, and our other readings remind us, and so much of Scripture supports, is that the right response to that truth is neither despair nor nor any flailing, futile effort to do better and to try to gain what we can never gain in our own power. The right response is humble repentance, to confess our sins and sinfulness as the tax collector did, and to trust in the mercy and grace of our God. And since the Lord's heart is full of love for sinners. Mercy is what He gives us. We do not get what we deserve. We get forgiveness. We get peace. We get a declaration that we are innocent of all the evil that we know we have done. We get eternal life. We get saved. And we know that we get all this. We know that we can count on getting it and never need to wonder if it's true. And we know that this is indeed how God's heart meets ours when we come to Him with humble repentance and faith because we know. We know what the Lord in His love for this sinful world did. He sent His one and only Son to save it. Nothing shows what is in God's heart more profoundly or more vividly than the sacrifice and saving work of Jesus. That is what we are focusing on so intently in this fresh season of Lent. Christ had no obligation to come and be one of us, but He did it anyway because He wanted us to be one with Him and the Father. He had every right and reason to reject us and just return home to heaven when He was rejected and and reviled by the very sinners that He came to save. But no, He stayed the course all the way to the cross. 
Jesus lived for us, suffered for us, and died for us to take away our sins and make us holy because God's heart is full of mercy for sinners. And so your course now is clear. Humble yourself. Not just on a special day of repentance like Ash Wednesday, but every day. As we heard from the Lord in Isaiah earlier, this is the person I will watch over. One who is afflicted and whose spirit is crushed. The one who trembles at my word. Or as we heard in the psalm, the sacrifices of God are a broken a contrite spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So we take, we start by taking a good look in the mirror of the law. The word of God that makes us tremble. Examine yourself. Which is something ideally that we do daily and especially we do before the Lord's Supper. Compare your life, your words, your thoughts, your choices, your feelings, your actions, everything. Compare it to God's law and be honest about what you see. And then follow David's example in our psalm and confess. Say the same thing about your sins that God says. Maybe it's something that you don't think about that much. Maybe it's something that you think about a lot so that you really know what it means to be afflicted by your guilt. Perhaps it's an infidelity to your spouse or cheating on a test. Perhaps it's angry, hateful words that you wish you'd never said or the casual, pointless taking of God's name in vain. Maybe it's that deep desire to have something or someone that isn't yours to have. Or maybe it's the simple and repeated failure to follow through on your promises to live as a child of God. Whatever it is, you can't excuse it or explain it away. Your sin is a weight, a burden that you need to get rid of before it drags you down to death. And God not only wants you to get rid of it, He is the only one who can take it away. And He does in Christ. So trust Him. Trust Him to have mercy as the tax collector trusted Him. God is eager to give you what Jesus deserves. Innocence and reward instead of what you and I actually deserve. Count on Him and His grace. Take Him at His word. As Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And James repeated the same truth over again. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves to God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So believe it. Let your heart be filled with thanks and joy to know that your Lord will, will justify you and exalt you when you humble yourself in faithful repentance. This is what He does. He 
He meets our humility with His mercy. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.